Hi, Nick Petrella here. This episode is sponsored by Volkwein's Music, a full-service shop that's been meeting the musical needs of musicians for over 135 years. They offer a huge selection of instruments, accessories, music, and more. They also have an unmatched instrument repair department with some of the most experienced technicians in the business. For years, they've serviced my personal and school instruments, and their attention to detail is why I and professional musicians from around the globe trust Volkwein's to service their gear. Head over to volkweinsmusic.com to see what they can do for you. That's V-O-L-K-W-E-I-N-S music.com. Helping people discover music since 1888. Welcome to the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast, making art work. We highlight how entrepreneurs align their artistry, passion, and vision to create and pursue opportunities to capture value in the arts. The views expressed by guests on the Arts Entrepreneurship Podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the podcast or its hosts. The appearance of a guest on the podcast, the venture they represent, or reference to any product or service does not imply an endorsement or recommendation by the podcast or its hosts. The content provided is for entertainment and informational purposes only and does not constitute business advice. Here are your hosts, Andy Heiss and Nick Petrella. Welcome, podcast listeners. My name is Andy Heiss. And I'm Nick Petrella. Joining us today is violinist Charlie Stegman. Charlie is the concert master for the Pittsburgh Opera and Ballet and heads the string department at Duquesne University. His list of teachers is a who's who of the 20th century's most renowned string pedagogues. And for the past 50 years, he's averaged over 60 concerts a year in North America, Europe, South America, and Asia. Beyond his performing and teaching accolades, Charlie is well known for his artistic vision in the creation of music festivals, including the Sunflower Music Festival and the Buzzards Bay Music Festival. Charlie, thanks for being on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. So to save time, we're going to link to your lengthy bio in the show notes. But before we continue, is there anything you'd like to cite from your bio that I didn't mention? Uh, The Crested Butte uh, Music Festival is another one. And uh, I helped the St. Bart's Music Festival go from chamber music to opera and symphonic and ballet. And then I started a festival in Kansas City that, that only lasted, I think, six years. And it was called Music Fest Midwest. Oh, okay. So that's pretty well it. Uh, The other thing is I retired from the uh, chairmanship of the department at Duquesne, and now I'm just a plain old professor, which is really nice. Great. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So what do you think it is about you as a person and as a professional that's allowed you to sustain a career in music um, for the past, you know, for your Basically, your whole lifetime. 400 years. Three or 400 yeah. years, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I think probably just uh, an internal tenacity uh, for doing stuff in spite of what being told to do. Mm-hmm. So I think, first of all, you have to be a little bit zany to want to play the violin professionally. And zany is just being polite uh, for the radio. <laughs> uh, and I think you have to be a little bit OCD. To kind of do the work that it takes to do that. 
And then I think you have to have a personal mission, like why are you doing this? Why are you here? What's your purpose on earth? All the rest. Uh, it took me a little while to figure that one out, um, but that, that sort of came through at some point. And then quite frankly, uh, my parents were not, they were both artists, so yeah. money was scarce. And I can't really do anything else than play the violin. So there was necessity as the mother of invention to get this show on the road. And uh, I think that helped. And early on, obviously, I wanted to, to – I never cared about really, you know, success as in the sense of becoming an international soloist. I did want financial success, however. Sure. Yeah. And that was a driving force, and I had certain things I really wanted to attain and I wanted to maintain – and I think early on I saw that life was a long trajectory, not just next week or even that month or that year, but, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, God willing, 60, 70 years out. Yeah. Um, and so I think I always took that stuff seriously. So tried as best as possible not to misstep too much. Yeah. yeah. That's great advice. That's in, you mentioned, uh, you know, you had some like some financial goals or a vision of, of the life yeah. you kind of wanted to live. Can you help us think, like, especially maybe early on in your professional career, what did that look like? Uh, you know, what was your thinking behind, well, what are you, you know, in terms of your financial goals and that sort of thing? Uh, it's unbelievably boy and simple. I just wanted a 911 Porsche. And <laughs> okay. if you think about it, uh, in order to be able to do that without too much difficulty, you're going to have to have a reasonable amount of disposable income. I wanted a really nice house. Um, I wanted a, a really good wife and a, a large family, and uh, I wanted to have fun doing what I did, yeah. and I wanted to serve music as best as I knew how. My, both of my parents were really devoted to the classic painting art okay. that they had learned from the old masters, you know, pupils. Yeah. So they were very devoted to non-modern art, and yet not the Andrew Wyatt thing yeah. either. Yeah. So there was a part of me that even though I wanted financial success, I was willing to rebel enough to kind of push some of the envelopes. And then I, I wanted to support friendships as well. Mm, yeah. So those were all pretty strong motivators. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get the car? Yes, I did. I got the car, the house, two houses actually. And, uh, Wonderful, wonderful, beautiful wife, four wonderful children, all the income I want, even got a tractor. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> it was by visualizing that early on sure. and just asking to get that, um, I think that's a really foundational, elemental need for anybody to actually make happen. Because yeah. without vision, where are you going? You know, and that goes in, in a daily practice routine, like I need to make sure that I get that shift at the end of this day or I'm going to have to get have two martinis instead of one. <laughs> and so <laughs> those kind of things, I think, drive you early on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a variety of experiences. And for the remaining time, we'd like to focus on your expertise as a creator of music festivals and as a performer. How did you get started in creating music festivals? And since you've been developing them for a, for a long time, do you have a template you follow? Okay. So music festivals was, after I got out of Juilliard, I looked around and I expected everybody was supposed to be beating a path to my door, offering yep. me money and wealth and fame. And 
funnily enough, that didn't seem to happen. And that was coming off of Curtis. So I thought, you know, I had the two hat tricks like Harvard and Yale of education. Then I looked around and I said, uh-oh, uh-oh, going to have to figure this one out here. And so early on, I realized it's I, – I, I like control, so I don't like the idea of, uh, you know, being reliant on others to, to for anything really. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to make my own work. And uh, so relatively early on, um, that's exactly what I did. The first festival I co-founded with Russell Patterson, who is the uh, conductor, inventor, creator in Kansas City, invented the opera uh, out of thin air, uh, Kansas City Opera. He invented the Kansas City Symphony uh, after the uh, Kansas City Philharmonic went uh, belly up. Um, and to a very large extent, I kind of modeled him. I said, that's super cool. Mm. Who would have thought of starting an opera company in Kansas City, of all things? And it's a brilliant company. It's unbelievably successful and has been ever since he, uh, he founded it. So um, that's what I started to do to his partnership. So if you talk about uh, templates, I think the first thing you have to realize in creating anything, I think, but certainly an arts program, is you have to figure out who it's for. Now, the first one, I just did it because I had a lot of friends from school that played really well, that wanted to get together and be able to party every night and, you know, uh, get paid for it and play music together. Um, That's a little bit selfish. Um, Russell brought to that uh, the concept of where could it serve a community well? Uh, That's step number one, serving others. And so I think in hindsight, and I'm very thankful to Russ, that he uh, produced, okay, you know what? Sunflower belongs in Topeka, Kansas because, and then there were a series of reasons why. You know, he was, we were both at that time in Kansas City. I was his concert master and we played in Kansas City together. Uh, Opera concert master as well as symphony associate concert master, but uh, a very close relationship. And so he said that would serve that community. At that time, I think it had a uh, Hallmark Cards uh, factory or plant, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. And uh, he he asked them to support the project, which they did. Mm. And so I lucked out in the sense that I'm not going to take credit for making this whole thing happen. I will. I was the artistic part of it in the sense of bringing really unbelievable players into the environment, and you know formatting music that was effective and uh you know contained what an audience would enjoy that's point number two let's Mm. remember this is an entertainment art form and as such needs to entertain whoever your audience is and so those sorts of things became important to bring to the community and that was an incredibly successful festival that I'm going to come out to again in two weeks after I think it's 34 years of doing it. Wow. So that's that's a pretty long time. It's a great I mean, run. It, yeah, it's a great run. Um, yeah. Killer board, really active, wonderful people in Topeka that make that thing happen every year. They're just not going to let it go. Mm-hmm. So that tenacity again, that, that sure. now we're having this because it's Topeka and we want it. And uh, so partnering would be one of the uh, yeah. you know template elements. 
Uh, how does it serve the community? And of course, it's free to the audience. So this is a pretty direct thing, you know. And the original sponsors, I think it was Merchants uh, Bank at that time, which was the Hallmark Bank. They uh, really wanted to give back to the community, um, and that's what they did, along with a handful of others. And everybody wanted to hold. That's uh, actually before uh, Bell Telephone, I think, was broken up. So Southwestern Bell was one of the sponsors. The railroad, mm-hmm. one of the railroads, mm-hmm. was one of the sponsors, and they just really wanted to give back to Topeka. So it was really a beautiful thing on so many levels that it's unbelievable. And then, of course, it partnered with Washburn University, that's right there, and that's a superb. City College, just unbelievable school run by one of the most unbelievably visionary men, Dr. Farley, who's run it for a long time, changed it completely. Uh, just, it's a nice you campus. wouldn't, yeah, it's a great campus. And, you know, everybody judges, you know, oh, you come from here, you come from there. And everybody says, oh, Topeka, really? And I got to tell you, it's one of the best concert halls in the country. <laughs> Top five, certainly. And, uh, for what we do, chamber music and chamber orchestra, sure. a great environment. So that was the first model of success. The second one, again, Russ Patterson uh, uh, retired and uh, moved out to Cape Cod. And then the Buzzards Bay Music Fest was founded. Again, together, uh, it was a, a cookie cutter, mm-hmm. a sunflower, smaller scale, smaller hall, but nonetheless the same idea. So it happened there. That year when... Um, Russ started, you know, when he moved to Cape Cod and started the, you know, digging the foundations for that. Um, I I had a condo in Crested Butte, Colorado, and a skiing condo. And I went there and um, created or started, at first it was called the Western Slope Music Festival. Again, partnering with a wonderful guy out there. Um, and uh, not a musician, but uh, one of the most brilliant people I'd ever met. Um, and so uh, David Rothman was the guy that was there. We, we put together that festival. That was a brilliant festival, uh, largely thanks to David's vision. He is a poet, and uh, he brought Dana Joya out there to read his poetry. Dana was head of the NEA for years under uh, GW, I think. Yeah. And so uh, just... That was a multicultural environment that, you know, had just a ton of stuff going on. And that's when I started to really look at what the possibilities are. So I have no longer anything to do with that festival for probably, oh, I don't know, the last 15 years. They wanted to go another direction and I didn't want to go there and that was fine. And I had a divorce and that was the end of the condo anyway. So at that (laughs) point, it was just best to, you know, go to other pastures. But um that the co- cookie cutter for me is partnership with visionary people that are tied to the community have the you know the the and the other side of the puzzle that I did not have uh, yeah. at that time um and the other part is it has to be really karmically significant for others are we serving somebody other than ourselves mm. i think that's what the arts are all about anyway so that mm-hmm. hits in well with that and so that's what I did. And then when yeah. you do that, then there are people in that community that say, you know what, this this is excellence. This yeah. is timeless yeah. music with unquestioning quality, with great musicians that are tied both with the community and from international uh, sources. And it's that 
I want to be part of that right. scene. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it might not be like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola was sponsoring a rock concert, which is a yeah. different thing and, mm -hmm. you know, wonderful in its own right, but very different. This has long-standing roots. It's not popular music. It's, this is stuff that's been written two, three hundred years in some cases and still is in print, which means something about it is unique. And so bringing that aspect to the communities, I think, is uh, fantastic. The other thing is to create an environment where classical music, which nobody really knows anymore mm. or, or cares about, still has meaning. And people say, ah, you know what? I didn't hate it. So that feels great. That feels really great where, you know, it's not in the public schools anymore. We've got, you know, MTV doing its thing. And, you know, it's not to take anything away from them. It's just that we're valid, too. And, by the way, without us, those, you know, ensembles wouldn't exist either. So, you know, it's yeah. amazing. And so um, that was a little bit about festivals. So in, in terms of uh, performance side, outside of your role with the Pittsburgh um, Opera and ballet orchestras i imagine you have many opportunities to perform kind of like we've talked about or you've created many opportunities to perform um and so do you do you actively seek out performance opportunities or do they seem to find you and and how do you decide what you? yeah do? I, I do not seek them out okay I, I really don't i've i've done enough on that i've played i can play anytime i want you know sure. people do come to me and say would you do this would you do that yeah and uh, for me, I rang the bells I wanted to ring. Now, okay. others around me, like my mom and dad, wanted me to be the next next TikTok Perlman, but that's sure. not what I wanted. Right. And I've done exactly what I have wanted. So, no, I don't. Now, I do get called every once in a while to do something out of the ordinary, and that's great. A lot of people have the need to be seen and, and will market themselves, and that's fantastic. You know, I, I have a great deal of respect and admiration for that. I tend to push my students, you know, I try to help them as much as possible. And, mm. you know, at the end of the day with four kids and, mm. you know, there's a limit to how much you can do. And yeah. I guess I feel it's a little bit selfish and I don't care about that. So I say, nah, not interested. Yeah. So if you do decide, I, I mean, if you do decide to do a performance, what what's sort of the motivating factor? Well, if it's that? something different. So if somebody says okay. they want, let's play some chamber music yeah. and, uh, in the area with these people, I'll say, sure, let's do that. Okay. And then that's motivating. You know, and if somebody says, look, I'd like you to play the Barber violin concerto, and yep. I'd never done that with orchestra, I'll say, sure, we'll go do okay. that. Sure. Um, but other than that, yeah. you know, it's not something I gravitate or have a feeling personal need to do. Yeah. I didn't know if you were fishing for a duo or something like that. <laughs> Andy's yeah. a bassist, but he's, he's less Kusevitsky. Kusevitsky. At more Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, Victor Wooten's what I oh, listen to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if I hadn't been a violinist, I would have been a, a Fender player. I yes. love Fender, Victor yeah. Wooten, all those guys. That's great. Oh, yeah, so that's I understand that. And, you know, we listen to all that stuff. My wife, having done, I don't know, 800 movies in Los Angeles and uh -huh. at least that many recordings with everybody you ever heard of. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting on that score. We were doing a Keith Urban, you know, song and record about 15 years ago. Walk into the uh, studio in L.A. and um, uh, Paul Buckmaster, who has since passed, was the uh, conductor, arranger, producer, director, whatever it was. And uh, Paul's a brilliant uh, British gentleman. And... You know, he's got a huge Kierkegaard volume on his piano, and he's knocking out 
a pretty reasonable Goldberg variations. And at that <laughs> point, I'm thinking I'm at a Keith Urban with Austrian, Australian, sorry about that, um, country western singer with obviously extraordinarily well versed individuals in the classics, not only literature, but uh, music. So I think it's yeah. all one the same. Yeah. I think there's it, two types of music, good and bad. Yeah. That's well, it. It all informs. Yeah. So there are many moving parts to a festival, from hiring musicians, programming, marketing, fundraising, and, and so on. What do you excel at, and where do you rely on other people's expertise? Okay, I excel at ideas, and I excel at uh, coming up with inventive ways to do things. So David Woods and I are a very good team. David is our chief uh, grant writer there, and so he's been able to fund us successfully uh, with the NEA, uh, based on the fact that there are things that I, I wanted to do that were good ideas. And he made that all into a structure that made sense. And so I think for me, it's vision and uh, ideas and dreams and, uh, dare I say it, products. So inventiveness in that way. I absolutely reek at everything else. <laughs> so like the details, that's that's a problem. So if you want details, you better call my wife or you better call poor David Wingerson who, who had to deal with yeah. me for 12 years there. Or now it's Elena, who's absolutely spectacular. She just walked in and did it as if she'd been there for the last 25 years. <laughs> but she has to kind of make work these kind of crazy schemes of mine. And so I'd have to say the idea and what will get grants excited, like the year of the woman, I was one of the only ones who knew that the in 2020, that was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. I felt yeah. pretty good about that because yeah. I knew some pretty serious feminists that had no clue. And I thought that was important and we need to fund that and uh, that sort of thing. So I think I'm good at that. Yeah. Good at putting concerts together because if I don't like it, I'm not putting on. Uh, I fight with uh, contemporary composers all the time, said, I don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. I know you wrote it, but I just really don't care. It's not good, and we're not going to play it. And so we, we relatively short programs compared to what a lot of, you know, conductors might want to put on. And so that that's my strength is remembering that if you, it's like a restaurant. If you never burn your clients or customers with a bad meal, you're going to have good clients. Yeah, and yeah. they keep coming back. You said 34 yeah. years, right? Yeah. So you're doing yeah. something right. Yeah. I think so. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Visit artsentrepreneurshippodcast.com to learn more about our guest and how you can help support artists, the arts, and this podcast. Yeah.